Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Innate. We hear it from our podcast guests frequently. Today's capital projects require the highest degree of visibility. That's why we at the Project Chatter podcast want to tell you about construction project management software from Innate. It's software that integrates every aspect of your project and puts you in control. Innate's cloud-based solutions provide a connected data flow that improves efficiency and guides better outcomes across the entire project lifecycle. See what Innate software can do for your next construction project. Learn more at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Is your company proactive when it comes to scheduling? Many companies believe project schedules are just the requirements of the contract, but companies looking to gain an advantage strategically manage their project timeline, resources, and budget. Plan Academy helps construction companies improve their project controls through immersive online training courses. At Plan Academy, your team can learn construction, planning and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and can save your company thousands when compared to costly in-person training. Visit planacademy.com forward slash chatter to download course outlines and talk to a training specialist now. Project Chatter is sponsored by JustDo.com. JustDo.com is a cutting-edge next-gen project management portfolio platform which doesn't force you into a project structure or hierarchy. Think of it as the Minecraft of project management systems with integrated task-based chat, Gantt, Kanban, and much more. It's the only 21st century real-time platform available today. In this week's pod, we welcome back Mr. Martin Paver, a veteran of the podcast, to discuss what's been happening in the Project Data Analytics hackathons. Martin is the CEO and founder of Projecting Success, a consultancy that specializes in leveraging project data to transform project delivery from high-end strategic consultancy through to apprentice training. He has led a $1 billion mega project and multi-billion dollar portfolio office. He is the founder of the Project Data Analytics community, comprising of 6,000, I think it was more, maybe 9,000, who share a passion for leveraging the exhaust plume of project data. Martin, I know you're here, so we had two Martins on the show today. Uh, what was your take on it? Yeah, he explained some of the challenges that he's that he's had in, in terms of getting information from, from governments. And he's, he's really trying to do the right thing in the industry. We know that analytics is going to become the next big thing. It's already happening to a certain extent. Um, he's, he, he talked about some of the hackathons. Um, so he's had 14 that are happening today and, and one coming up next month. And yeah, just sharing some of the successes, the diversity of, of people going to it, sharing um, experiences and using... Um, those people to, to really answer real life questions. And, and mm-hmm. he, he explained some of the things where he, where he has had success in, in implementing some of these in, on real life projects. How about you? What was your takeaways from it? Oh, look, you know, I'm a digital guy at heart. I love technology. I'm an early adopter. I do love the idea though of the data trust and how we can access anonymized data in a way that allows us to make better business decisions. And this is something that Martin um, kind of, alluded to this something is coming and the inflection point is here and i think 
the evolution of project uh, capability as well. You know, he mentioned the the P six uh, jockey, and I think there's a there's a value in in getting people to adapt and adopt to a, a data driven project mindset, which I thought was really great. Um, but look, it's a great pod. Um, just before we finish here with this prelude, Project Hack 15 takes place at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on the 24th and 25th of May. You should check it out. I think it's 20 quid a ticket. Uh, check it out on the Project Data Analytics website for more information. We'll probably post something on the links in the, the show notes. But folks, sit back, relax, and enjoy the pod. Hello, project people. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. It's always good to have you with us. And I'm joined by Full House tonight, which is great. Uh, Mr. Dale, how are you from Germany? I'm good, thank you. It's good to uh, be abroad for a change. Yeah. How are you doing in Australia? Cannot complain now that all the restrictions are easing. Um, and I feel like freedom is back once again, just in time for winter. Awesome. Uh, we also have Martin. Mr. Martin Kirsten is here. How are you, Martin Kirsten? Yeah, good. Thanks. And yourself? I had to give the full name. I felt like I was telling you off, but it's because we've got two Martins on the show today, so I didn't want to be rude. Uh, good to have you here, mate. And our guest who is returning, a veteran of the podcast, a man of the data, Mr. Martin Paper. How are you, sir? Yeah, very good indeed. Yes, very good. Thanks, Val. Well, it's good to have you back, and I'm sorry to pull you away from the pub. I think it's important that we talk about data and i know this is the only subject matter you would actually leave the pub for anyway um, <laughs> it is so good to see your face uh you're always happy when we see you so i love having happy guests um but what's been happening i know we're talking about project hack but you are always making leaps and strides and i actually i've watched a few of your pod, uh, not podcasts your hackathons and i'm just watching in just incredible uh, admiration for what you're doing for the data community What's a bit of a synopsis of the last, what's been a year since we last had you on the pod? Yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's been a tough gig, Val. It's been a tough gig because, <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot going on. And I mm. think sort of part of the challenge at the moment is there's still a lot of project data people out there, sort of project professionals out there who don't understand that they work in the world of data. They think in, in terms of PRINCE2 terms and mm. APM and PMI terms. So in terms of project controls, their full-time job is managing data, but they don't see it as data. They see it as the it, things like P6. They see it as risk management systems and cost control. Underpinning mm. all that is data, but they're still not getting it. They're still not getting it. And there's some people, so through the apprenticeship, you know, we're finding people now starting to emerge who are starting to get these new superpowers, but um, it's a tough gig in terms of convincing everybody that this is the way to go. And I'm absolutely convinced now that you are, I think Dale is, um, I'm not sure about the other Martin, right? So we'll find out in a minute. <laughs> I, might be on it. Um, I, I probably think, you know, in the next two or four months, we will get that inflection point out. It's coming, it's coming at pace, and I'll tell you some exciting news in a bit. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think as well, maybe it's the logical levels of understanding, but, people don't necessarily go back to first principles. I think data is kind of the, the raw, the river, right? It's the flow of information, but it hasn't necessarily got the contextual meaning. And I think people try and want, or they try and understand what their role is. And I'm, I guess they've been indoctrinated by some of these institutions to believe a certain way and projects only run a certain way. But you and I know both that it, it's, um, it is a bit like a river. I think Dr. Dan Patterson was on, he had a 
really cl- clever way of saying it. I think he was like taming the river, tamification. I think he said Dale and Martin. Uh, and I think that's a bit right. It's it's a bit like steerage. You, you're just trying to figure out how to just get it around the corner. But data is a big issue, and it's not necessarily contained to UK either, Martin. We know that in every country potentially that, that the same issues are, are applying. I think in Australia, I can speak on behalf is it uh, it is very difficult to see um see this happening and i think it's around the value of data it's still not quite there and i i I hope that people who are listening who haven't heard of the hackathons or project hack that your team is doing in the uk checks it out because you are making it open and free at the moment you you can see these things online on youtube um is that right martin is that going to stay like that Uh, it's bigger than that well, right, so we've got a movement going now. Right? So there's 9,000 people in the Project Data Analytics community movement. Right? So what the hypothesis is, is that if you think about the body of knowledge, right, the body of knowledge has come from a load of people's experience and it's saying that this is the next stepping stones in terms of project delivery. Right? So it keeps on being refined and refined and refined, but it's not necessarily evidence-based. Right? We haven't got the data to back up all that theory and all that body of knowledge. So if you think about risk management, for instance, it's this human process of guessing what's going to go wrong next on a project. Now, that's a shocking state of affairs in 2022. So if we can start to use all of that experience that's gone before and the data that underpins it, we can start to make some evidence-based decisions and we can temper it with human knowledge, but... We shouldn't be starting from a blank sheet of paper guessing. And all those guesses are laden with human bias, right? It's just not the way we should be going. So um, I do see that we're getting a pivot point, right? And it's coming. Mm. No, that's that's well said, mate. I think you're right. Um, I, I love the it's coming. Uh, maybe that's a, another show that we can do, have a clown, <laughs> countdown clock. Because <laughs> I'm still waiting, you know? Yeah, sorry. So some of the stuff we're doing at the moment, right? So if you imagine, um, so we've had 14 hackathons right, over the past three years or so, right? 14 hackathons. And that's brought together thousands of people to solve project delivery problems. But the problem is, right, we go and solve a point problem, right, a point solution. And we come up and we fix something on health and safety, we created a machine learning algorithm that addressed Baker Hughes's problem with uh, project delivery data on Christmas trees, for instance, right? So not Christmas trees in terms of Father Christmas, it's more Christmas trees in terms of oil and gas. And those Christmas trees, they've got repeatable process and they said, can we use advanced data analytics to predict which part of a project is likely to be subject to most variance, right? Which means you can go and intervene at appropriate mm-hmm. point in the process. People were solving that in two days, but the problem is, who's picking that up and doing something with it, right? So it's the adoption process. People come along, they have a great couple of days, you know, we have a free bar in the evening, they win 5,000 pounds between them, right? It's a great experience, but we need to flip the dial on it. So what we're doing now is we're working with the Project Data Analytics Task Force, and that task force is saying, let's create some theme-based visions for each of our swim lanes of project delivery, right? So there's the P3M swim lane, so there's risk and schedule and um, benefits management, et cetera. 
And then the swim loads associated with health and safety and uh, design management and logistics. And then there's some cross-cutting ones associated with things like productivity, for instance, right? So if we can think, what does the vision look like for 2025, right? And that's three years away. So what could that vision look like? If we could write a book that says, where do we want to be in three years' time? So we can get a few of us together and say, what would we envisage data-driven benefits management look like in three years' time? So if we can set that vision and then reverse engineer from there and say, right, there's probably 10 modules to get us there, if we could then use the hackathon community to work through those modules, that means we then start to create solutions through the community so we can start to drive that growth. Mm -hmm. If we can open source those solutions, so most of this is about the configuration of the Microsoft environment in the main, because that's what most people use. You bring in Python, you can use some other sort of applications associated with it, but it's about configuration. It's not about the creation of new algorithms that is going to look at this data in a new way, right? We're in basic land at the moment, right? The M-Plan stuff's really top-end, and that's great where you've got a huge amount of data. But most organizations at the moment have got shoddy data, right? The data is not good enough to solve the use cases. So if we can do all of that and start to open source some of these products, that then drives up the data volumes. When we drive up the data volumes, we drive up data quality as well because everybody's using a similar environment. So a similar taxonomy and the ontology that underpins it in terms of the data model. If we do all of that, that's where we move the dial, right? So once we've got the data volumes pumping up, that's when we can move into clever stuff. And that's where your nodes and links and your end plans, and everybody else comes in. And that's where these really clever guys should be playing, right? They shouldn't be playing in the simple, you know, Power BI and Power App space. They should be playing in the PhD level, you know, where I've got loads of data and not just a single data frame, right? It shouldn't be about schedules or it shouldn't be about risk management. It's the interaction between some of these. So the interaction between risk and schedule and design management, compensation events, whatever. Once we've got all of that integrated together, that's when we make the difference. I couldn't believe, uh, I couldn't not believe you more. I, I'm, I'm so on board with this. Um, and I think we talked about this last time you were here, a long, long time, Martin, when things were simpler. <laughs> That's uh, out of trust and, you know, a bit of the, the challenge of wrangling or convincing perhaps people to not share, but open up. We lost you, Val. Yeah, I think we've lost you, Val. So um, just check your connection there. Or can you think of on data trusts and open source data for all projects? Uh, so I'll pick the end of that up, Val. I think you're breaking up. Um, so in terms of data trust, right, um, we've got the first one going in the world, um, a groundbreaking stuff on the construction data trust, right? So what we're trying to do, so we've pitched this into government, uh, I think four times in total into innovation funds, and it was always knocked back, and it was knocked back, and they said, too big, too bold, too aspirational, and industry is never going to share data of that type, right? So I reached out to a chap called Grant Finlay and Sir Robert McAlpine and Gareth Parks from Sir Robert McAlpine, and we pump around it, right? We've got something going. I put some money in, they put some money in, and we got it going. Um, 
So we've got a data trust, and then we work with a company called BPE, who is a legal advisor working in the STEM world. And we've got a data trust going, right? So we've mobilized it. So it's now got, um, it's got Mace on board. So they sit on the um, a data trust board. And it's also got a really fantastic lady called Dr. Joe Jolly, who needs to be on your podcast, she says. Um, so she's a board director. And interestingly, she's a crown servant, right? She works for the Environment Agency. So Construction Data Limited, which is the legal vehicle in which the data trust sits, is a not-for-profit entity, right? It's a limited company, but its mandate and its articles of association say that it's a not-for-profit entity. So the board directors are Mace, Sir Robert Calpine, um, and the Environment Agency at the moment, uh, plus this legal sort of organisation. And in due course, there's more and more going to come on board. And there's another one, I can't announce it yet, but you know, I think it's going to be a bit of a game changer. Um, and it will really start to put a lot of momentum into it. So that legal vehicle is now in place. So it's reached out to something called the Productivity, it's the Construction Productivity Task Force, which is the chief execs for MACE, Skanska, Sir Calpine, British Land, Landies, et cetera. And they've said, let's work together so we can start to pull data to solve productivity problems, right? So the first time ever, right, they can't share that data because if they do, they go to jail because of collusion, right? You can't share cost data with each other. You're not allowed to, but you can put it into a, a data trust which is independently stewarded. So projecting success, so the company I work for, is the independent data steward for that arrangement. So we bring that data into data pipelines, we then pull that data, reflect the insights back, et cetera. So once we start to get going with it, we can provide third party access to that data. And that gives people like nodes and links and then plan and universities, whatever, access to that data as subject to terms of use agreements, right? So university, so conceptually, right? If you've got the right agreements in place, a university can see everything, a competitor can only see the aggregated and anonymized data. So we layer the data based around the risk. So that is now in place. And I've got some breaking news in about two or three weeks' time where there's going to be another one which will be pooling data on £50 billion worth of projects. But it's not quite baked yet, so I want to wait till I get a contract. But I've signed the contract the other parties now need to sign. So it's nearly there. And that's groundbreaking, right? Really, really groundbreaking. So these are world firsts. So just imagine a situation when we start to pull this data, starts to drive up the data volumes, but it's not just about pooling data. What we can do, which is really cool, is we take that data in and we can look at the data and it's aligned with the problem statements we're trying to solve. And most of the time it's misaligned, right? We're capturing data at the moment because that's what the process tells us to do. And that process is probably a digitized form from the 1980s. So we're creating stuff in terms of data because that's what the process machine tells us to do and that's what the body of knowledge tells us to do. We haven't actually done a data mapping um, and a gap analysis between the problems we're trying to solve and the data we've currently got and work out what we need to do to fix all that. So it's massive, massive. 
<laughs> I think Val's struggling there with his with his mic a bit. I'll jump in there, Martin. So so if we just re rewind a little bit um, and and go back into the actual hackathons, because you covered it's over two days. You know, you throw individual strands of challenges at at the various teams, and as you say, they you know so they sort of solve single points. For those that have never come across the hackathons, what um, what if you go into detail does it entail? What does day one look like? What does day two look like? Is it just you throw a, a, a challenge to the teams, they pick one, and you let them go for two days? Are there sort of bits in between weaved in? How, what what would one experience if they attended a hackathon? So in terms of hackathons, right, a lot of people think it's a load of people who's working on the dark web and you go and try and hack into Russia and bring down the state. Right? That's the a concept of a hack, right? And so in terms of a hackathon, it's a different thing. It's where you bring people together uh, to solve problems at pace. Um, and some of those problems are solved with um, a minimum viable product. So something that's... It's conceptual, it works, but it's not fully productionized. You can't just go and turn it on and take it back to your organization. So the way we work in terms of these hacks, we put out a load of challenges, right? So we've got two sorts of hackathons. We've got an online hackathon, we've got a physical hackathon. We alternate them at the moment just because it's a lot of effort to put these things on. And a lot of money as well, right? So putting on a hack. Our next one is at the Spurs Stadium, so a brand new football stadium. Uh, we're renting part of it out. We have over 300 people. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. So it brings those people together. So what we do about a week before, we publish the challenges, right? So those challenges is us working with people like you, for instance, Dale, um, working with the environment agency, working with the MOD, uh, working with Mace and so Robert McAlpine, whatever. We pull together these challenges. Now, Previously, they've been a bit random, right? So what I want to do is start to align them with these visions for 2025. So if we can sprint through each of these bits of the roadmap in 2025, we'll have solved the puzzle for benefits management, we'll have solved the puzzle for risk management, we'll have solved the puzzle for this, and then the data volumes grow, and then M-Plan can come in, pick that data up, and do some really clever stuff with it, right? So that's the concept behind it. So the way it works is we publish those... Uh, challenges we put some data out there as well um so that's all published for the people who signed up so they see that a week before uh, some people would start some work before some people don't right so we start the session at nine o'clock on the first day it used to be a weekend it's not anymore it's it's weekdays and i think the next hack is the 24th 25th of may so that's at the spurs ground uh, so they come along so we start at nine o'clock and we tell you what it's all about all right and we say, you know, this is the way to go about a hack, you know, for the newbies and things like that. About 9.30, we start with the challenge pictures. So two minutes of pitch, we say, so the challenge owners come along and say, come and work on my challenge, come and work in my team, because it's a really cool problem I'm trying to solve. So it's a bit of a sales pitch, right? It's like Dragon's Den, oh, please come and work on my problem. And then NHS did that, and the lady called Joe Stanford did a brilliant job, and she got five teams working on one of her challenges, and one of those won sort of first prize. So at 10 o'clock-ish, we then say, right, we presented to you the challenges, we talked about the data, et cetera, 
which one would you like to work on and go and form some teams? And then it's chaos for the next 30 minutes, you know, 35 minutes. Everybody's walking around, I don't know what they're doing, like whatever. So we've got to try and, and shepherd them into some teams and say, you know, what you're looking for. You don't want a team full of project managers because they can't code, can't do data, etc. You don't want a full sort of team full of data people because they don't understand the domain. So you need to blend. And that's what we do through the hack. We've got a really great network now because we've done a lot of these. We pull together data professionals, students as well, we get PhDs along that sort of stuff, and we tie them up with your project professionals. So if you've got a good team, you're going to get going. So they start to get going about quarter to 11, 11 o'clock, and then we say to them, pick a team lead, and let's go. And then by about 1 o'clock, we say, right, have you got a plan? Have you broken out your couple of days? And then they start to go for it. And then they do problem decomposition, make sure they understand it. They probably split the team out. Some people's looking at right, what the storage board's going to be. So a bit of right to left planning. They say, what's the storyboard for my pitch? And so they'd work all that out. And then they come together again about so half one, two o'clock and say, right, this is what we're going to do. And then they start to go through, right? They start to pull the data into pieces. They start to uh, conceptualize solutions. They do a bit of an MVP on a whiteboard or a wireframe or something like that. And then day two, they come back. Um, so in terms of day one, right, the venue will close as soon as we get kicked out, especially if you rented it, right? Uh, some people come to London, I think they can sleep in the venue as well. Right? They've, paid, they've paid the 20 quid ticket to get in. We always charge for people to get in because we've got to put the food on, there's a free bar in the evening, we always charge because if it's free, people sign up and don't sort of turn up and then we put a skip full of food, you know, it's all all binned, right? So we learn from that. So we charge 20 quid um, and that goes to the uh, British Rest Cross for the Ukraine um, sort of appeal, right? So it's all for charity, so that money goes to charity. Um, so it's a token payment just to make sure if somebody signs up, they're committing to come along. So day two, right? So free bar in the evening. Uh, day two, they'd rock up, um, rejoin their team, and they then start to work through their solutions. About 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock time, the team will start to split. So the team will then split, and part of the team's working on the pitch and the presentation and the video that goes with it. So we start off in the early days that it would be a sort of picture the venue, we've stopped doing that now because there's so many teams involved, it takes you a long, long time to get through all those pictures and people get bored and they start to sort of stop listening. So we video them all now. And so we say, right, we're going to finish about five o'clock. So the videos would start, they'd start to record some components of it. People are still hacking their solutions out, they're still doing the MVPs, they're still producing it, and it all comes together about five, six o'clock. So we then set a deadline, it's either 7 o'clock that night or 10 o'clock the following morning. And the videos are all submitted, we take them in um, and then we close the shutter. Right? So we close the shutter at 10 o'clock or 7 o'clock on that night. Uh, and then it goes to a judging panel. So we've got loads of people in the community, we've got something like 70 judges I think, which we can oh, choose from. Wow. And those judges, it's people like... Now, Andy Murray, who's the Executive Director of Major Projects Association. We've got uh, Joe Jolly. Well, we've got a lot of people we can choose from and, and pull them in. 
So each person looks at six videos, and we would typically have on a physical hack, we'd have uh, 20 teams, maybe something like that. So each person would look at six videos. We then give people different six videos to look at, and we pull all the scores together, um, and then we would assess them, right? And say, you know, who's one who's come second, etc. And what we used to do was we used to award the prizes on that basis. Now, we stopped doing that recently because we've realized that um, there's some people who could turn up with a commercial product and win because, oh, look at my product. I've solved this problem with my commercial product, which is not fair, right? It's not fair. And there's people who's sort of professional at this, et cetera. So what we said is it's going to go through moderation. So we would pick three people in terms of judges, and last time it was Breeder Ryan and Andy Murray and somebody else. So those three people would come along and they'd moderate the top five and pick the top three out of it. Uh, first prize gets £3,000, second prize gets £1,000, £600 and £400. Right, so there's five grand that goes through Amazon vouchers. Um, so that's it, basically. And then those people as well, it's not just winning the cash, they go away the glory as well, right? And for some people, it's a game changer. I've seen people get jobs, brand new jobs, off the back mm. of winning prize at a hack because they've got superpowers nobody else has got. Cool, it's awesome because so this year it's actually quite apt because for those that don't know who Spurs are, Tottenham Hotspur, Martin, Martin, Mini Martin, Martin Carriston is fuming and spitting there because he's a Chelsea fan. Um, they're, you know, one of the, the top sides, I guess, in the English Premiership. But um, it's very apt because that's, a, I guess, a, one of the big clubs that go scouting for talent. And here you are providing talent, albeit a different sport, if we can call it that, um, at, at the Spurs ground. I mean, I, I haven't been to the day, as you know, um, but I've been to the networking night in, in between the two days, and it's absolutely amazing. Just the buzz from day one from everyone there, and you know, you're feeding off that, that energy in, in the space. But talking of people, I know and, and I admire you for this, Martin, because I've, I've seen it firsthand where you get challenged a lot when you're giving a talk or you know, when, you, when you're actually educating as well, the whole people and behavior and cultural side around data. And a lot of people are fearful around this whole notion of, well, if we make all data available, then blame games start to happen and stress levels increase. And, you know, what about the people? Are we forgetting about the people? What about circular economies? Are we, you know, taking people's jobs away and things like that? And I wonder if you could just sort of package, I guess, a bit of your response to the people side when it comes to data analytics and what you're actually trying to achieve on, in that space as well. Because I know having spoken to you, it's not all about the data. It's actually to improve what people do and experience on projects as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's spot on, Dale. I, I do get challenged a lot. I get challenged day in, day out. So as people say to me, uh, this is not about data. It's going to dehumanize sort of uh, project delivery. Um, and I fundamentally disagree with that. Right? You've got a lot of project professionals who've turned the handle on process. They would be a tool jockey, like a P6 jockey or something like that. They're not really adding much value, right? They're spending time reporting, and it's reporting what happened three months ago. It's not what's happening now. It's because the system has got used to that. It's baked into the fabric of what we do as project professionals. doesn't mean it's right. It's just baked in, right? So let's reimagine what that looks like. And if we do reimagine it, 
instead of looking backwards, we start to look forwards. And that's where the human being is really good because you can take the data then and say, well, this is more likely to happen than this is going to happen. I can see some lead indicators. I've put some some like uh, probes out there where I'm going to sense when something's going to go pear-shaped. You know, I know you spoke to Dave Snowden. I love what Dave Snowden's doing. So it's all about emergence, right? We should be managing emergence and looking for patterns in data, and that's a cool job. A cool job is not knocking out reports what happened three months ago. That's something we all hate doing. So if we can use machines to get rid of that stuff that we hate doing, well, then start to do the really exciting stuff, which is where you start to develop your superpowers. And a project professional has got superpowers who can see into the future and work out where to make your interventions, where to spend your risk money, you know, where you're going to hemorrhage cash, all that sort of stuff. Your salary is going to shoot up because you've got skills that nobody else has got. And then we're going to get to a situation in a few years' time where it's a battle of superpowers, you know, Who's got the best team, the best skills, whatever? And that's not existing today. And that's a brand new skill set. That's a brand new set of people that doesn't exist today. And just imagine what that's going to look like. It's going to be phenomenal, right? A really exciting career. There's no such thing, you know, there's no career pathways for this at the moment, but there will be. You know, the task force is, is working on the skills framework for it. These people do not exist. I want to speak to project controls people, and those project controls people say to me, Martin, you misunderstand. What you need to do, you need to go and walk the construction site and understand what's going on, and only then do you really understand the project performance. And I say, I disagree. <laughs> I've led myself, I've led a billion-dollar contract. People tell you what they think you want to hear, not what the reality is. And then when I've got what I want to hear, I feed it to my boss and I tell him what he wants to hear. And then he goes and tells the client what he thinks the client wants to hear. So at every level, there's this Babel fish, which is, is twisting the truth, all right? With project data analytics, there's a line of sight to the raw data. So there's no more manipulation of the truth. And if you are frigging the data, if you get the algorithms right, you can sense it that somebody's messing about with the data, which means then there's no more debates about where truth is because you know where truth is because the data is accurate. Now, we're some way away from that, but there will be a situation, and I think National Highways is starting to get to this, where they've got no debate about where ground truth is anymore. They're now debating, so what does that mean? And that's a brilliant place to be. Yeah, absolutely. And the other part for me thinking about it is that, you know, we, we have such a shortage of talent, right? So many projects happening at the moment, so many professionals that we don't have to deliver them. And the nice thing about this is that we're not relying on bums on seats because, you know, it's actually scalable. As you say, you go and you solve a solution for one project, you, you can then go and, and solve a solution on another project and it doesn't take you the same 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week or however long you're working during your week because it is scalable and that's the beauty about it if we revert to the i guess the i guess the current model of bums on seats well you only have 24 hours in a day and so that you, you can't split that any any way so I, I i for one am a fan i guess i sit in the camp where you know i, I have heard before from from various people that you know 
data analytics is going to become the new project controls. And I think we've had this conversation before where I actually think controls was actually the first data analytics people around because we've always looked at data. I think it's just adds to our, I guess, our, our toolkit, you know, this, this additional capability and skill, um, as you call it, a superpower. And I believe that that sort of thread as well. I don't know if it'll entirely change uh, what we do. We'll still be looking at data um, and we'll just be looking at it much faster speed in many more different dimensions and angles and have a bit a lot more insight when we do have that capability but as you say i think we are a bit away for far from that i just think that you are right we are building spe specifically here in the uk a groundswell i think a lot of people are starting to recognize now actually hang on it's not just mr paver there putting his head above the parapet there's a lot of people beginning to look at this and going there, there, there is definitely something here and we need to start changing you know the, the whole views from as we call it the dinosaurs in the industry um and so so yeah so those are just some of my comments but i am keen to bring in machine gun martin mini martin or whatever we're calling you today um martin curriston uh, yeah exactly <laughs> changes week to week <laughs> exactly exactly but on that note as well gentlemen i'm gonna love and leave you um, and carry on with my uh, my vice beer here in, in germany um but yeah have fun and dale just before you go all right so i'm with you either next week or a few weeks time which is the intensive week for the apprenticeship all right is it worth you sharing that with some people about you know you are a seasoned project controls guy right you are you've been training this discipline but you're about to swallow the red pill and come out the matrix and see the world in a different light <laughs> Martin, I think I've already swallowed the, the, the red pill. I'm in the matrix um, and I'm just trying to figure my way through it at the moment. I don't know if I can dodge bullets yet, but um, <laughs> who knows? Maybe, maybe in two weeks time, I'll be able to dodge those bullets. Cool. Excellent. Yeah, awesome, great to see you. Have fun. Machine gun, Martin, over to you. <laughs> Cheers, Dale. Um, I think my question is probably a follow-on from, from what Dale was asking there. So the hackathons have been a great success in, in terms of harnessing data, solving project issues. I, I absolutely love the health and safety app presentation from the last session. I was just saying how, how good it was to, to Dale and Val uh, before you joined. Um, I think my question is going to be how is, is your company going to try and focus more on the soft skills and maybe sales skills for, for, for the types of products that you're um, the, the people are coming up with because I'm guessing the majority of the people with the superpowers between now and the next few years they're going to be in the lower to middle echelons of the organization maybe not quite have the confidence to to be that that real influencer how and using those skills how would they kind of go about convincing some of the more luddite senior leaders who who maybe have walked the construction sites and just you know stonewall some of these things is there going to be a focus on the soft skills or, or really harnessing the data project chatter is sponsored by prosci why are some projects more successful than others even the best solutions fall short when we fail to support the people who must use them in their daily work change is not an event it's a journey change management is about helping people through their journeys and breaking down barriers so projects can achieve successful outcomes as the globally recognized leader in change management solutions, ProSci has helped thousands of organizations improve project ROI and build change-ready cultures. Want to learn how change management works? Visit prosci.com forward slash project chatter to get your free change management for project managers resource kit. So in terms of the day that I do on the apprenticeship, right? So 
Uh, Dale and some of his colleagues join the apprenticeship, and I teach them for a day about uh, what is Project Data Analytics, the way it's going to change the world, etc. As part of that, I tell them about all the challenges because we teach uh, people from about 50 different companies. We know what the challenges are day in, day out. We see what the obstacles are. It's IT, lack of management commitment. There's no money. It's not a priority. You're too busy doing your project stuff. Right? You're too busy chopping down trees to stop and, and sharpen the saw, and we've got a chainsaw. Right? So that's... <laughs> I see those problems, and they all need to be tailored for each organization, right? So at an individual level, you can do certain things. But what we're also doing, so the next hackathon, so the, the, the Spurs grounds, we've got a VIP event. So it's a great venue. So we've got the APM behind us, and we've got the major projects associated behind us. And they're going to run a roundtable event with a load of VIPs, um, which is talking about what can we do to accelerate the transition to data-driven project delivery. So instead of you trying to tackle it at project level, let's try and tackle it at an industry level, right? So that's got at it, right? I've shoved to bits about it. It's got Andy Murray, who's the exec director from the Major Projects Association, and it's got Professor Adam Bodison, who is the chief exec of the Association for Project Management. So they come along. I've just been told at about four o'clock, five o'clock today, We've also got Nick Smallwood coming along, who is the chief exec of the Infrastructure Projects Authority, right? Which is the centre of UK government for project delivery. Now, that's brilliant for us because we're right at the top now, right at the top yeah. of all the professions, and the top of government to start to move the dial about the thinking. If they come along to the hackathon and see what can be done in two days, we'll really inspire them. And we've got some speakers on as well. So we've got people talking about the Construction Data Trust, people talking about the Cost Government Working Group, etc. All of these things together as a network effect is we can show them the light and they swallow the red pill and they come out in the matrix. The matrix is old style of project delivery and see the world in a different light. And when you pop out of that matrix and you see you can do things differently, that's when the magic starts to happen. So I think... The question is, is whether you battle it yourself or you battle it as a community. And we're battling it as a community or we're not over. Brilliant. Yeah, that's that's what it's about. Hey, if you've got that top level support, that's that's where it really starts to be powerful. Um yeah, another, right. another thing I'm interested in, I I along with Dale, I, I saw the I was at the evening session of, of the last hackathon and I saw the real enthusiasm in the room. Just interested, has the demographic of the between Hackathon 1 and 14, has it changed? So is it mostly data analysts in the room, project managers, students, like rough percentages? What would be the most? So we work really, really hard on that, right? If you've got a room full of project managers, it doesn't work. If you've got a room full of data scientists, it doesn't work. Absolutely. room full of students, you know, they've not got sort of domain experience. They've not got the life experience to be able to solve some of these problems. It needs a blend, right? We work the network really, really hard. I've got guys in my team who are just pushing that all the time. Um, and we go and target certain universities who's on this. We go and target uh, certain uh, data science networks and data analytics networks, etc. So we try and get a split of about 60-40. So 60% project professionals, 40% data analysts. And some of those are the more advanced apprenticeship 
sort of guys as well, where they can now start the coding Python, they can understand machine learning, right? They can do some of these things. So they then start to flip in the data science expertise as well. So they've got some skills. Okay. So we aim for that sort of blend 60-40. And if it goes much beyond that, it becomes a talking shop about if we have to look at all these skills up and we'll have some magic computer that's going to tell us what the risk is next week and they don't really understand how to do it so you need a blend of the two that's that's brilliant that's that's really good um just just one more from me um on the subjects what would be your sales pitch to the people who are who are on the fence? You know, they, they kind of understand it's the future, but they haven't really seen it in action yet. They're a little bit wary, concerns about, you know, all this company data being confidential data being out in the open. What? How would you kind of pitch that to, to them? So first of all, the company data is not in the open, right? So it's independently stewarded in a secure environment. So you would see an instance of that data based around the risk of that data, right? So the perception of... I'm just going to put my data out there and get embarrassed and I'm going to show everybody what my profit levels are and where my delays are. That's not the reality, right? And we spent a lot of time working on the legal framework to sort that out. Right? So that's the first issue. And what's the second part of the question? I forgot. Um, so it, it was just the, the sales pitch to the people who who were on the fence. You know, they, they kind of... It's, not not just the confidentiality. It's just like you know, it's you know, data is going to be more and more. It's going to happen, but you're not really seeing the benefits yet. If you're a project controls guy, right, and you're a P6 jockey, great. You know, you're earning good money. You're earning, you know, if you're on a day rate, it's probably a good day rate. But when is that going to run out? You know, you've got Emplon knocking on your door. You've got nodes and links knocking on your door. We're doing some stuff whereby if we can get a common work breakdown structure for a commercial new build, right? Then I can practically automatically create the logic in the schedule, right? I know the foundations are built before you put the walls up, before you put the roof on, right? That's simplistic, but you know what the logic is in the schedule. So what is a planner and the scheduler going to do in the future once we get to this situation? It's coming, right? And there's so much money going into it. If you look at the investment in 2021 versus the investment in about uh, 2019, I reckon it's gone up like 100-fold, right? There's a humongous amount of money going into this. So BuildDots has got uh, 30-odd million in the last round. You know, you think you know about Mplan, who's got money from Google Ventures, right? There's a lot of money going into this. And you look at uh, Procore as well. It's got a market cap of $9 billion, right? So there's some big, big money in this because the prize of improving productivity is huge. So you mm -hmm. can either stay old school and bet that nothing's going to change, which is fine, you know, some people will, or you can say, this is going to pivot at some time. Do I want to be on that wave and ride that wave and be in front of my peers? Or do I want to risk becoming a bit obsolete? You know, my skills are a bit rusty. If I'm working for a big consultancy, I can't sell myself out and on the bench for too long. If you're on the bench for too long, you start to get exposed, right? So it's just a matter of, you know, it's like in the old mills, you know, when sort of manufacturing came along, it, there's just a new generation of stuff. It's happened time and time again through history. It's just another iteration of it. And yeah, everybody's going to lose their job. Robots are going to take control. No, they're not. There's going to be a new generation of works. Always happen like that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Martin I, and Martin, I got two Martins now. Martin uh, Paver, that's exactly. I, I love the passion as well when you explain this. Obviously, beers help, but it's always lovely to have you here. I have a few comments as well. Dale's not here to, you know, kind of defend himself, but I do disagree. He said something before, Martin, and I'd love to get your comment on this. Uh, I don't think we, we we have a sorry. He said we had a short a shortage in talent, and I think I don't think that's true. I don't think we have a shortage in talent, and I think it's something that you said before as well, Martin. It's kind of getting people to swallow the pill and recognize the projects for what they are. And data is a large part of it, always has been. And seeing that as, as an asset, not a wastage product, which is really interesting. The other thing I think, as you said, quite rightly, the, uh, the P6 jockey, which is a good term, I might steal that, is around um, people choosing the easy path. And we have this challenge now in major government projects, particularly in Australia as well, where they're getting paid a lot of good coin, Martin, to do very little on the project in terms of adding value, right? I'm sure they're doing good at their craft, but I, I agree. Every time something changes, and particularly technology as a catalyst, uh, we all have to adapt. And that's been like that for a while now. Um, so Dale wasn't here to listen to that, but he'll have to read back and, and have a view. The other thing I was thinking about was Bent sent out some, some interesting um, analysis on the 10 biases of projects, which I thought was pretty cool because I almost agreed with all of them. And have you seen those 10 biases? And my question, I guess, to frame it more aptly is how do we stop data biases? Because we know that the idea of data and information and having that repository is to have a better angle on truth, right? Because if we can understand the true status of the project, then we may be able to circumnavigate or intervene on things that may affect the future of the project. How do we keep data honest is my question to you, Mr. Martin. So this is where it gets really cool, right? So um, there's not 10 biases. I think it's something like 183. So if you just Google on Wikipedia, yeah. the bias codex, right? There's a load of them. And I teach it on the bit on the apprenticeship. Right? I teach them about that and say, so what will we do in terms of using advanced project data analytics to get over some of those biases, right? Mm. Now, if you've got a schedule and somebody's manipulating the data, you should be able to use a data science to say there's been a change, right? I can see there's been an intervention here where somebody has manipulated the data. Now, if you've done that, and back to Ben Pluvia's stuff, right? So Ben's saying, if you are strategically misrepresenting a project, that is borderline fraud, right? Now, we all sign a code of conduct. So with the APM, you know, if you're a fellow with the APM or a chartered project professional, you sign a, contact, a, a, a code of conduct that said, you've got your integrity, your professionalism, et cetera. If you breach that and you are manipulating data, then you should be found out for it, right? And mm. if you found out that you're leaving this forensic data plume, then you're going to be held accountable. Now people say, oh, that's really bad, Martin. You're going to scare everybody off from using data because you can go to jail, et cetera. It's like, it's just a transition point, right? I'm a chartered engineer and a chartered project professional. I can't go and frig the data in engineering and the building falls down on my head, right? I go to jail. So why shouldn't I go to jail in project delivery? It's just an ethics thing, right? Mm. So I can set up the data pipelines that starts to tell me about the integrity of the data. So I can tell, so if you're a risk manager, I can tell if you're right most of the time or not, all right? 
So are your issues coming straight into your issues register or do they go through your risk register first? Right, that's just simple. I can then say in terms of a peer set of the way that risks are described, are you any good at describing risks? And if you're not, right, it probably needs intervention, it needs a bit of coaching, development, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I can now get forensic performance of my entire squad. I can get my team. And you do it in football, so why not do it in project delivery? That's coming. That's all possible mm. today. There's bits of software you can do it. We'd like to open source a lot of that stuff and start to give it away. Right? Mm. So we would then get to a situation where there's biases, um, and you've got to look at the different biases. Right? Is it because somebody is is bad with their estimates, right? So they're always sort of optimism bias in there. I can pick it up with the data really easy is that, you know, you told me it was going to take three months, it always takes six months, you told me it was going to cost this, it always costs that. And I can see that you're always wrong, right? Whereas somebody else is a bit more pragmatic, I can see, oh, he's, he's probably right 40% of the time. I want project professionals in my team. I think Jeff Bezos says this, I want people in my team who are right most of the time, right? So if you've got a right most of the time indicator, then that starts to drive out your bias. Now, there is bias in the data in terms of, for instance, a lot of project managers on construction sites are male, right? So you've got a bias against females in the construction site. Now you need an intervention in the data so you can weave that out, right? So there is a bias data set. You can't get around that at the moment. You can't just say, right, I'm going to assume it's 50%, so it's all different, whatever. We need to work towards that, and that will drive the interventions, that will drive the leveling, and that will drive um, sort of all these issues about diversity. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I agree with you. I agree with you there. I, I also, just, just pivoting on that, um, I guess the measures of success for projects is slightly changing now with... I guess a lot more, particularly in the younger generation and governments obviously picking this up around sustainability and the environment. Uh, and I guess we're always draw, drawn back to the iron triangle and controls as the, the measures of success. And this is something that we've had many chats on the podcast about, and I'm sure you've had many challenges as well. Um, is that the most apt measure for success using data or, or do we have other ways now? Because I've, I've seen, I've talked to Greg Lawton as well from Nodes and Links around carbon capturing construction projects as part of that unique endeavor for for metrics that that matter um is there anything new we should be measuring in terms of success of projects i disagree with this carbon capture stuff right i think um it's a it's a fad about going carbon neutral is it carbon capture right that's not <laughs> it's not the fact that we should be measuring right it's the it's the easy thing to capture is carbon capture right now if we look at waste Waste has got a huge amount of carbon plume with it, but we're not capturing it because we're just mm. looking at the embedded carbon in concrete or something like that. Right? It's the easy things to measure. But we should be looking at the overall system effects. Mm. And I was talking to a chap from the Environment Agency today, Jonathan Williams, brilliant guy. And Jonathan said, um, there's some, some carbon calculator that says his emissions are uh, 10 tons per year, so he's like spot on where he should be, right? He's proud of his carbon stuff. He says, and then he looks at the project he's been working on, and that is something like a million tons of carbon. So as project professionals, we can have a significantly more impact on our carbon footprint through the way we are delivering projects than the way we are just 
and looking at the basics of carbon capture, right? It's all about the inefficiencies, the efficiencies mm -hmm. with logistics, uh, the amount of waste that's coming out of projects, uh, the overspend and things like that, because overspend tends to relate to wasted effort or wasted material or things like that, right? So mm. all of that is costing money, it's costing carbon, et cetera. So it's too blunt a tool. So it's a good stepping stone, but it's too mm. simplistic. And we need to aim higher. So the world's going to be in fire in about three years' time, I said the other night, right? So we're getting to the point of no return. We need to go for this a lot, lot quicker than what we're going for at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's enough ambition out there. I don't think there's enough urgency. We need to change that. It's just not good enough. No, 100%. I think you're right. I think there's, again, I think it's a stepping stone. Um, I kind of like the the idea you talked about before with with the hackathon. You know, we're kind of servicing solutions for specific problems, but it's, it's kind of part of a bigger a bigger challenge, which is this kind of the anatomy of the project, right? You know, you go to the doctor and the doctor feeds that symptom rather than looking at the whole body. But now they are doing that. They're looking at the, the problem as a holistic, okay, do you have any other symptoms? Because they're connected in some way, right? And I think someone, it might've been Joe Lucas that talked about the mycelium of projects and networks and definitely Dave Snowden talked about um, this informal network of understanding. And I think the great work that you're doing in the UK, uh, we want to spread. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, I'll still the TED talk, you know, spreading good ideas, but I, I want to know how do we make this global, Martin? From your perspective, how do we get Martin Pavers in in America, the US, who are massive contributors to this? How do we get them in China? How do we get them in these big manufacturing areas where I would agree with you, there are a lot of wastage and it's just not, uh, I guess, on the forefront of their societal outcomes. I know in UK, you guys are definitely ahead in this space. How can we all contribute? It's really hard, you know, it's really hard. So the hacks, for instance, right, actually load of money to put them on, right, load of money. And it's not just the venue, right? You've got to uh, pull the hack solutions together, right? That takes effort and time. You've then got to go and clean the data up because if you don't clean the data up, there's GDPR issues in there. Someone's going to get done for it, right? And if it's you as a hack organizer, you've got insurance for that, et cetera, right? So, mm -hmm. so there's loads of issues associated with running a hack. Now, I can do it because it's part of my business model. I get apprentices along and I get paid to train the apprentices and stuff. So, it's an ecosystem approach. Now, we can only do that in the UK because we've got the apprenticeship scheme. It's really hard to do it in America where you've not got it and you're just expecting somebody to bankroll the hack, etc. Uh, so you need the ecosystem. And I think once we start to get this going, we start to demonstrate the benefits. I think that's coming. I reckon that's going to be a, a, towards the end of this year, maybe next year. We will demonstrate this at scale and we can start to quantify those benefits. So I'm working with an organization at the moment, a big organization who's got some big projects on it, saying, can we do shadow running on project controls? All right? So you do a traditional system and you bring in an advanced data analytics approach. If we can do that and we can start to measure A-B testing, right, and just say that this is X percent better than the previous one, that's the inflection point. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem at the moment is it's driven by vendors. It's not necessarily driven by the overall ecosystem in the community. And if we can get to the community to evidence some of this benefit, that's when we really go fast. So that's why I'm a big fan of a community-driven approach, which opens the doors to the clever stuff on the vendors. The vendors should not be competing in the dashboard space because just open source stuff, right? It's configuration power behind stuff like that. We shouldn't be playing in that space. 
Mm. You should be putting investments into clever stuff, or you put the investments into aligning the data with the problem statements you talked about. So you talked about the doctor, you know, understanding it as a body. What we're trying to do is get to a project level ontology. And I think we'll crack that in the next probably 18 months. I think there will be a project level ontology coming out of the UK. Mm-hmm. So that's linking all these problem statements. If you can look into the future and say, if I could solve that problem, this, that, and the other, and align the data to it, I reckon 18 months down, we'll have that. That's awesome. And I, I really do think uh, you're right. You do need that ecosystem of support. You know, you do need, I guess, some guide, a guidance and intervention by the government to incentivize people to be part of it. Uh, and I think it's where a lot of uni students are getting to that point. Um, but as well, we've got to make construction sexy. I think everyone's forgot that yeah. we need young people in this industry. By the way, we can't all do it. And uh, we are finding, at least in Australia, that a lot of people are kind of shying away from construction because, one, it's hard. I guess the the environment doesn't necessarily support development in the way that it should. It's a bit behind the eight ball when it comes to data and recognizing some of these new skills like data science, right, uh, Martin? And I think that that kind of damages people. So they come out of university with these kind of newfangled skills, a lot of energy, right? That's the time where you want to harness people when they've got, they're starting their careers out. They want to make a mark. They want to do some good things. Um, and then we pull them into a project. We give them a whole bunch of spreadsheets and ridiculous processes. They say, why am I here? And then they leave 12 months or, or less later. And we're finding that churn is quite big in the construction market. I'd love to get some numbers on that. So if anyone does have them, send them out to us. But I think there is, um, there's an element of humanizing around that, right? If we want to go back to why data is important to projects, I think it is important to projects because if we don't start moving with the times and adapting and adopting, yes, there's carbon and there's other impacts like cost and time. But what about the next generation who's meant to be making these projects better, who are meant to be looking at those responsible project management methodologies that we're talking about? And, uh, and I think you're doing a great contribution and a great service, you and your team. I know you've got a bit of a team behind you. There's a lot of heroes in that, in that group. Um, and it is a grind, as you said. Uh, I've got one more question for you, Mr. Martin, and then we'll probably move to our special feature, as you know. Um, this one is around uh, the data itself. So if, if we go full steam ahead, um, actually two questions, I'm going to break it up. First one is the why, because I always start with why. Um, Martin, why are you individually, why are you so passionate about this? Where does it come from? Um, 30 years of delivering projects and realize in that, that we keep making the same mistakes time and time and time again. And when you understand the principle of machine learning, right? Machine learning is saying, let's learn from the data so we can predict the future. And that's what we do through the lessons learned process and mm. repeatedly follow. Right. So why I'm passionate about it is because we can move the dial, right? And it's not moving the dial a little bit. This is transforming multiple professions, right? It's not about project delivery, but it's not about uh, P3M. It's not about project controls. It's about all the project delivery. We can move the dial on this, right? Mm. And as an individual, why are you here, right? And for me, I feel this is a calling. I could sell out tomorrow and sit on the beach for the rest of my life. And, and it's a calling is that I feel that, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity where we can move the dial on something so phenomenal that enables us to build more hospitals and to accelerate the transition 
sort of energy transition and things like that. There's so much we can do at pace. We will change the world together. Now, Mm. I could go and spend all the money being a vendor or spend all the money being a consultant, whatever. I'd rather do this because, you know, it's it's a calling. It's a calling. And I think there's a lot of people in my team feel that as well. And they're very confused. And a lot of people are confused about my business model, where they're going to give it all away. And we give it all away because... It's the only way we're going to accelerate it, you know, and and um, it's hard, right? It's an hard business model. It's not easy to make it all work, but it's doing the right thing, you know, and that's mm. something we really, really believe in. No, that's great to hear. And I'm sure the listeners uh, would, would love to know about this. And I guess my final piece of questioning would be around, you know, how do people get involved? A lot of people sitting, listening to this, maybe sitting in project controls, starting out in project controls, or maybe they're 30-year delivery guys and they've like, they're sick of the way things are happening. How do they get involved, Martin, with you? Uh, or how do they make this uh, same level of contribution and legacy to evolving our projects? What's your advice there? Uh, there's three or four levels, right? So it's a life cycle we've been through. So we start off with the meetups. So just Google London Project Data Analytics Meetup. Mm-hmm. Um, and we run the meetups twice a month. And we get a load of people on, a bit like your podcast, really, but it's a bit more... A presentation anyways yours is more conversational right we do have panel sessions but now that's a great opportunity to dip your toe in the water we've got loads of videos so go to projected success youtube website you'll find a load of videos on there for the meetups so that's the starter pack right and then once you start to get into it and you want a bit of hands-on experience and get involved in a hack so we've got the physical hack so if you're in London, then come along to the London hack. It's 20 quid to get in. You get 10 times that back, you know, just food and beer and everything like that. Right? And prize money and things like that. So you get a lot more than that back. That's just an entry ticket just to make sure that you turn up, right? And that goes to um, the British across Ukrainian appeal as well, right? So that's not a money-making venture. The hack's not a money-making venture. It's to get the movement going, right? That's why we're doing it. Mm. The next level up from that, so you start off saying what's Project Data on this is about, oh, I'm starting to get it, is you then go to hack and you realise that it's not as hard as it looks and you're really inspired. And then the next step is to say, right, I need to get trained up on this. So you can then join the apprenticeship and Dale's sort of just joined recently and some members of his team's joined. And the apprenticeship, you know, apprenticeship in old school was... Um, you're 18 and you left school, you don't know what to do in your life, so you become an apprentice sort of bricklayer, right? It doesn't work like that in the UK anymore. So the UK's productivity was falling behind France and Germany. So the UK government said, we're going to tax businesses with a pay bill of more than, I think, £3 million. We're going to tax you at 0.5%. And we're going to sit that in this thing called a levy account. So that is to train your people on lifelong learning, right? When you've done a degree in engineering or project management or something like that, you should not spend the next 40 years sort of riding off the wave of that that degree because technology is always moving. You've got to be keeping up with it. So what government's trying to do is to invest in that training. So basically that levy account is sat there. It's taxed basically. And if you don't spend your tax, then it's lost, right? They lose that Mm. training account. So we've got guys, you know, one guy's 60, We've got a director from Gleeds who's on this. Uh, we've got a fresh starter from National Highways, you know, straight out of school. 
We've got a full blend of people from 60 down to like 18. We've got directors all the way down to like basic range. So, so I just say, open your eyes to the potential. The world is changing. You know, you look at your supermarket. 15 years ago, you went in the supermarket, you buy some stuff. Now it's all data driven. They know exactly mm-hmm. what you're going to buy. You know, they're pushing stuff at you, they're pushing promotions at you. They're putting the right food based on the weather, right? They, it's all based around data and project mm. delivery. We're 15, 20 years behind. It's going to change. It's going yeah. to change at pace. Yeah, I agree with you there. And, uh, you know, thank you for your insights on the project hack and, and your kind of your bigger vision or wider vision. And we'll, we'll keep having you on the show, Martin, because again, this thing is evolving. As you said, there's going to be some inflection point. It's coming. As you said, I look forward to that day. Um, and always thank you for your time. I know we, we pulled you out of a, a social gathering and I appreciate you uh, spending a bit more time talking about what's happening in your world. Uh, Martin, over to you for the fiver. That's Martin Kuriston, by the way. <laughs> thanks, Val. Yeah, th- uh, thanks a lot, Martin. That was that was great. It was a real, real good sales pitch for, uh, <laughs> for, for what you're doing. Um, lastly, we've got a, a little feature. It's called Fiverr. It's five quick fire questions all about yourself. So if you're ready, we can give it a go. Let's go. Okay, number one, steak, seafood or salad? Uh, steak. What are the three must-have behaviours you look for in successful project teams? Um, uh, collegiate working. Um, so team players and I think drive and, and determination. You know that's two, but I think it's the same thing. You no know, drive determination. Good, thank you. Uh, what's the one piece of advice for people new to the project profession? Um, go big or go home, right? Think bold, yeah. Think bold, yeah. <laughs> nice. If you could go back to one moment of your life, what would it be and why? Uh, my first child being born because it was the most special part of my life. Oh, really nice. And finally, which superpower would you choose to have for a day and why? All these project delivery superpowers because we can change the world. <laughs> brilliant thanks a lot no, you, thank you thanks martin martin look martin we that's all the time we have unfortunately i'd love to stay and chat even more and i hope i can get over to london now that uh, the covid restrictions have eased i would love to be at a hackathon i think i can contribute to this massive event that you are kicking off uh yeah, come on, Val. get yourself there absolutely mate. and a beer and a palmy <laughs> i'll give you a free ticket and i'll buy some beer yeah, come on. Oh, there we go. That's all I need, mate. That's all I need. Well, look, thank you for your time, um, Martin Paver. Is there any other final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with? I'd say, you know, the world's changing. Uh, we can make a difference. The project professional holds the keys to all this climate stuff. You know, uh, Ukraine's going to need fixing, right? We, it's down to us, right? We mm. can make a difference, but we can't make a difference by reading a Prince 2 manual. Right? We've been reading that manual for the last 20 years and it's not moved the dial. We need to think differently. Go bold, think differently, and get on board the project data on its bus because it's exciting. Right? It's a great career. And if I was a youngster today, you know, it's a phenomenal chance to change the world. Cool. Yeah, fantastic. I completely agree with you also, Martin. Martin Kirsten, any final thoughts from you? Uh, no, th- no, thanks a lot again for your time. It's, it's really interested and yeah, just get on board now. The, the industry's changing. It's, 
Join it. Excellent. Thanks, cool. Martins. Martin Squared. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for. I uh, hope you like what you've heard. You can pay it forward by sharing a link to the episode on your favorite social media. A massive, massive thank you to Mr. Martin Paver. Thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me, Dale, and the Martins, it's bye for now. Project Shadow supports and is a member of Zero Construct. Zero Construct is a new working group that wants to lower carbon construction. Not everyone will be aware, but construction contributes to around 12 to 15% of total carbon emissions. This is a staggering amount and we need to reduce it. We are a growing community of people that want to help make this change. Everyone is welcome, whether you're an engineer, contractor or consultant, you just need to want to make a difference. Our aim is to grow a network of experts so we can all learn from each other and make a positive impact in the places where we work. We'll do this by sharing knowledge and making it accessible in engaging ways. To join us and find out more, please visit zeroconstruct.com and register as a member. Thank you, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.